0: We live in a data-driven era, and we live in the era of precision medicine. And with a gigabyte, a gigabyte's worth of information, a billion pixels on every single one of these images that are telling a story about some patient's cancer or other disease that otherwise would be sitting on a shelf, on glass, collecting dust, doing nothing for us. That's a tremendous opportunity for the world to use this data in new kinds of ways.
1: Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strenck. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. We know that digital pathology has the potential to greatly increase the efficiency of the pathology lab, but another benefit is the unlocking of the vast amounts of data that are available on pathology images. My guest today is David West, the CEO and co-founder of Prosha. We're going to talk about how David got his start in biomedical engineering, and the precursor to Prosha called Pathology Cloud. Then we'll talk about the research and clinical applications of Procha's concentric platform and how it incorporates AI. All right. Here's David West. Now I want to start with you when you were studying biomedical engineering at Johns Hopkins and you, you were, you're doing this with the intent of combining technology and medicine. So I'm curious about this kind of uh, interest. Like wh- where did that come from?
0: Yeah. So, you know, my, uh, my mom is a cancer survivor, and and so um, you know her experience and the experience of other family and friends that have been through the journey of cancer have been personally really impactful to me. I'm a technologist at heart. I'm a an entrepreneur at heart, and uh, you know I, I love I love software. I love computers, and really always have growing up. And so when I was at Johns Hopkins. I had studied biomedical engineering there with a focus on computational biology, which is you know more oriented towards kind of the software and data side of engineering, and in in a sense it was sort of you know as as a curious kid with a lot of interests, it was an opportunity to do things across biology um with you know an applied aspect towards medicine across computers uh, and computer science uh, math etc and uh so as as someone would say sort of a, a jack of all trades and and master of none uh but for someone who is curious and uh, in a sense entrepreneurial like me uh, that was really cool and and it was this opportunity to combine Technology and medicine. On a personal level, like my my belief is that technology should be used for good and to solve meaningful problems for humanity. And things like cancer affect uh, so many people. affect me personally. Uh, it's a deeply, deeply personal thing, and it's a problem that will uh, that has been with us as part of our generic genetic inheritance, uh, and and will be with us probably probably for a long time, uh, if not forever.
1: I like the idea of combining different fields together. That that's an interesting aspect. Now, ha- having an interest in medicine, did you ever consider medical school?
0: At one point, but but frankly, you know, when I when I talk to people who are our customers and partners, some of our team members that have been through medical school, I have so much respect uh, for for the um, the patients that they had, especially early on in in their careers, I think it was my entrepreneurial entrepreneurial bug that uh, you know my my role in um, in medicine was was sort of uh, from the outside and you know building technology for the people who are doing amazing things and who are on the front lines of you know diagnose diagnosis um, who are. You know, dealing with patient care, and who are building you know the the next generation of of therapies in in medicine. All right. So, how did you discover the field of
1: pathology? Then,
0: yeah. You know, I, I was I had the chance to work very closely with two scientists at Johns Hopkins Medicine who we're doing work in what we would call computational pathology right now. At the time, uh, the field of study was quantitative nuclear morphometry, a bit of a mouthful, um, but for you, for your audience who would, you know, who who, 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 for whom this would, this would resonate, you know, using computer vision algorithms to look at nuclear features and feeding those into statistical models or machine learning out uh, machine learning models to predict cancer outcomes. And, Dr. Coffey and Dr. His colleague, Dr. Veltri, were focused on prostate cancer. Um, they were they were part of and leading the Brady Urological uh, Center at at Hopkins Medicine. Dr. Coffee was uh, the founder of of the Cancer Center at at Johns Hopkins, and at the time, the deputy director and, and a legend. Um, and he was a, a close mentor to me, along with. Uh, Dr. Veltri. And I was just totally fascinated by this work that they were doing, that we could use computers and computational approaches to think about cancer in a very different way than pathology uh, was practiced at the time. And I started scratching my head, like, why are, why is this, why is this incredible technology possible? And frankly, in many ways, so obvious. And, and yet, if you walk into a pathology lab and even in you know fairly sophisticated, uh, well-equipped research settings like in 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 Hopkins in an academic setting, we were we were not using uh, you know the amazing kind of tools that you know, power much of the rest of our lives. It wasn't like I could just, you know, like you and I are sitting here. I can click a button, I log on, I, I see your face, et cetera. Pathology was in, in, in many ways still uh, governed by physical glass and by, uh, you know, this, this sort of 18th uh, century technology of, of the microscope. And I got excited about the opportunity to bridge the gap between uh, what was possible in, in uh, you know, an academic scientific setting and, uh, you know, real practice.
1: Okay, so it sounds like sounds like this was kind of the light bulb moment for you. Now, you co-founded Prosha in uh, 2014. Yeah. Can, can you kind of take me through this kind of moment of of realizing uh, this and what what could be done to founding the company?
0: Yeah, when we started in 2014, Prosha is a company that has very humble beginnings, uh, but always a big vision. I started building some software for pathologists and scientists, along with my co-founders, uh, Coleman Stavish, who is a brilliant programmer, computer science uh, friend from, uh, you know, at the time we had known each other for 20 years and we were pretty young guys. Um, so we go way back. And and my my other now colleague, and co-founder Nathan Bookbinder, who was at Johns Hopkins with me. And we started with you know a simple, simple cloud-based software. We called it Pathology Cloud, and we made it really easy for scientists and pathologists to manage these huge images. I mean, it was obvious at the time that the scale of this data was a big problem and challenge with adoption. And for a pathologist or a scientist who wants to interact with this with this data, you know, that you know, they shouldn't be wrangling with the technology. And there was this, you know, I, I was, it was actually, even then I was kind of, I continued to scratch my head, like why I had, it kind of felt like Silicon Valley had ignored this field of medicine that was so central to to everything that we do in, in diagnostics, uh, and in, in patient care. And, and we started with you know solving simple problems and building this this product pathology cloud on a modern tech stack uh, that would make it really easy for you know both pathologists and scientists to work with this data in new ways, but also for computers to interact with this with this data. So we built this with the kind of APIs that would enable computer vision algorithms and AI applications uh, to be part of this workflow seamlessly. And not just some like Python script that was uh, some cool science, but but not something that a real person could use in, in the real world. And so by 2016, we we had put a product out there, we had some some we put something out there for, for free at the time, and we had a couple hundred pathologists and scientists that were using this product sort of like as a Google Drive or Dropbox for pathology. And uh, we raised a seed round, uh, raised a couple million dollars from some investors that saw our traction, uh, that believed in in our vision, and uh, you know, frankly, took a bet on on someone who had a product and a vision, but were you know, no real no real experience in building big companies, but they took a bet on us, and I think so far they've been they've been uh, pretty pretty uh, validated in that bet. At least I like to think. Now,
1: no, what was like the original, you know, back when you first started, what was kind of the response from pathologists and, and other people that you were showing a pathology cloud to like, did they, did they get it or did they, yeah. did, did they not?
0: Well, you know, I'll start with a problem that, that I was, that I saw firsthand at, at Hopkins where, you know, D- Dr. Veltri was working with collaborators and sending physical hard drives to those collaborators. And like the core lab within the institution was sending these hard drives with all the data uh, that would be generated by these scanners. And I was like, uh. that is, it, it, it felt like it defeated the purpose of, of being in a digital medium or being in this data driven medium where you're shipping physical hard drives, you might as well ship physical glass. Oh, um, sure and so there were these real like fundamental problems that were core to core to this vision of enabling data driven precision pathology but had to be solved and we we started with those those small problems and we got a lot of feedback from early customers. Of course, when you start building a product and starting a company, you pay attention to the positive feedback. Like, hey, this was super easy. It was intuitive. Your viewers super fast. A lot of people told us that our viewers super fast. We patented some technology um, that would enable this this to be you know built in a in a scalable kind of storage and store and compute environment on the cloud and still have really fast uh, viewing. People really liked that. The technology was accessible. So we early on, we kind of achieved these goals of lowering the barrier um, to adoption by making this frictionless and accessible and really easy for any pathologist or scientist to go on and use digital pathology. Uh, But of course, you also pay attention to the feedback where where people say, I wish you had this or I wish it looked like this. We had a really simple product at the time, but we knew that the application of this technology uh, was in sophisticated High throughput enterprise settings, and there were a lot of things that we had to build on top of this core functionality that would enable that. And there were a lot of things that we could do once uh, once we had this platform built that would enable, say, AI applications uh, to to live in this platform and deliver value to pathologists and scientists who are using this this technology. So, of course, like you know, the great you know, the great thing about the early days when you're starting a company is that you get to be really close to customers and iterate super quickly. And mm-hmm. we heard a lot of that, you know, positive feedback, and also areas for improvement. And I think those formative iterations, points of iterations, um, that in, in the worlds of like, in the world of uh, kind of product building and and company building, you we say, we're, we were looking to achieve product market fit, those were really formative for us. And And at some point, we started, it started clicking where we you know, achieve some level of product market fit. And we had customers, institutions like Hopkins became a customer themselves and biopharma companies, the word started spreading. And we had, we had customers that were starting to pay us some real money uh, to use this product. Uh, But I think that ethos of being really close to our people who are actually using this product is, is very much part of our company even today.
1: Okay. Yeah. I can see how that would be uh, important for sure. Now there was a promotional video that I watched as a video for, uh, for Prosha and, and you were in it and you said people who come to work at Prosha want to change the world. And I, I saw that and listened to that. I thought that's a lofty goal. Can you, can you tell me what do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. You know, I mentioned earlier that we're a company with a humble beginning, but a, a, a big vision and it's the big vision aspect that gets me out of bed every morning. Uh, And I think that's why people want to work for our company, work on hard problems, but really meaningful problems that impact that, that empower a community of the pathology community with the kinds of technology software that allows them to fight big enemies like cancer, really high impact things and you know what today when when i have the chance to to talk to our customers either pharma companies um, that are using using pathology to uh, develop new biomarkers um, to bring drugs to market faster to run clinical trials or i talk to our diagnostic customers that are using digital pathology to power primary diagnostic workflows consult workflows, um, AI enabled workflows, et cetera, they're doing some really incredible stuff. And there's oftentimes a patient on the other side of, of, of their work, uh, of that pathology report, uh, of, of the software they're using and the technology that we're using. And, and that is, you know, for me and, and I think for, you know, everyone in in our company, Protians, as we call ourselves. I like that. Um, Yeah. You know, that's a really important thing to be able to build technology for this, this community that is doing such high impact work because it is personal, right? For me, it's personal. And I think so many, so many people have, uh, you know, a personal connection to cancer or some other disease that pathology touches.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are probably very few people that don't have some sort of connection, to, to cancer in some way, whether it's a family member or friends, something like that. So that's yeah. mm-hmm, okay. So let, let's get into the, uh, the concentric, uh, yeah. plat- platforms. So this is kind of Prosha's uh, kind of flagship product. All right. Can we, can we kind of go give like an overview of what it is and what it does?
0: Yeah. You know, concentric is, is what we used to call pathology cloud that I mentioned before. It's it, it from this simple tool to manage data pathology data, and view images to to something that is the center of the ecosystem for a universe of pathologists, sometimes scientists, devices like scanners, uh, information systems like the lab information system, and AI algorithms. It's the place where data lives in the environment of our customers where their pathology data lives, and it's also the place where their work happens. So, not only are we we're, we're not just a we're, we're, we're not we're not just like an archive, if you will, uh, but we want it, we want to be this this ecosystem where our customers can uh, do their work, run their workflows, where they can be powered by image analysis and AI uh, and all the other great tools that digital pathology enables. Our belief as a company is that. You know, we want to that the value of going digital in digital pathology is not just a shift from the microscope to the monitor. That's mildly interesting. It's what you do with those workflows and with that data once you're digital. And our platform is designed to empower that. So to think about this in a really literal sense, if I'm a pathologist, um, you know, I'm I'm logging on to our platform, it's a web application, I'm seeing my work list, I can, I can view my cases, it's really simple and uh, intuitive to be able to interact with this data, hopefully you know just as simple to be an ergonomic as using your microscope, uh, but also today and increasingly over time, you're powered by lots of new tools that can live on top of this workflow now that you're in a digital environment.
1: So there's kind of two different like product branches, I guess, for, for concentric. So you've got uh, the concentric Mm -hmm. for research is, is the first one that I want to talk about. Now, this I can see would have applications for precision medicine uh, because it incorporates biomarker discovery, companion Mm -hmm. diagnostics. All right. So how does concentric for research fit into that?
0: Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. There's, we, we we talk about having a unified platform and purpose built products early on pathology cloud We found was getting lots of users in the research community, um, in academic settings, uh, and then also in biopharma settings, but also a lot of interest from the diagnostic community. And as we grew and listened to our customers, we realized that a lot of the common technology problems were the same, like grabbing how do we ingest data from scanners, how do we manage lots of different scanner image formats. How do we view images in a very seamless way? There's a lot of commonalities between the data models, like grouping images to be part of cases, thinking about specimens, things like that. But there are very unique workflows. And Concentric for Research versus Concentric DX have different purpose-built workflows for those those communities. So Concentric for Research is designed to accelerate R&D by accelerating their, their workflows and you know, improving their their data quality and the accessibility of that data, so that that data becomes not just for one project, but a perennial asset, um, and allowing them to integrate new technologies as, especially as this kind of frontier of technology moves very quickly, especially in the world of of AI. There's lots of tools and new uh, capabilities that are opening up a uh, many, many possibilities in terms of what you can do with this data. And so you talked about, you know, a couple, a couple of areas where, you know, these life scientists companies are using pathology data in new ways, like in biomarker development or companion diagnostic development. They're also using this to say, you know, power clinical trials or, you know, early, early stage drug discovery work. So pathology really impacts the whole biopharma R&D chain, you know, from, Discovery, preclinical, clinical trials, and these translational opportunities that sit across that, and so concentric concentric for research is a is designed to power those workflows. It's designed around it's designed around you know uh, studies and experiments and projects uh, as opposed to kind of routine clinical workflows that you'd see on the concentric DX product. So they have a bit of a different flavor, but a lot of commonalities between the two.
1: Okay. That, that's interesting. And, and and yeah, the precision medicine, I mean, this is a rapidly expanding field. So I could see the need for something like concentric yeah. for research, just, you know, continue to increase as well. All right. Now you mentioned concentric DX. So let, let's talk about that for, yeah. for a second. So this is used for, for diagnosis. Now, what are some of the main features uh, on concentric DX?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it, it starts with kind of core functionality around how do we get images into an environment that a pathologist and end user can interact with this data, usually viewing this as part of a as part of a workflow. And the platform is doing all the things underneath the hood to manage these huge gigabyte sized files uh, so that pathologists can you know, work work with their data um, just as easily as they would work with glass slide and a slide tray and a microscope. And so that their organization can manage their workflows at scale with many pathologists, potentially many different sites, many different scanners, all being in one common environment. And so for the pathologists, I, I mentioned this before, you, you, you think about you can think about your, your day in this digital pathology environment as starting with a, a work list, with cases on those work lists, and you're moving into these cases. You're seeing slides. You're grabbing. It's grabbing data from the lab information system, so it's all in kind of one unified environment. And we sort of manage uh, the diagnostic workflow from opening up that case all the way through all the way through sign out. Reporting could happen, you know, often outside of the system, but we try to give all the information and tools for the pathologist to be able to do it there. Uh, it, you know, like annotation. Um, things that you can do in a digital environment that you can't do with a microscope is collaborate live with your colleagues. So, you know, think about like a Google doc where you can see lots of people typing on a Google doc. You can do the same thing in uh, a digital pathology environment and on concentric you kind of flip a switch and you see where other colleagues are looking on that case in real time. You can also collaborate asynchronously by sharing a case with a colleague, so those are the sort of foundational capabilities that are critical for a primary diagnostic workflow or for a consult workflow. But of course, things become really interesting when those same workflows can become powered by AI. So where AI can perhaps we have an algorithm that recognizes common quality artifacts like folds, blurs, like uh, uh, you know uh, issues in in the stain and flags those early on. So. So so, a histotech can either rescan the slide, uh, or recut the slide, or whatever needs to happen before that ends up on the pathologist's desk and impacts turnaround time, impacts that pathologist productivity, etc. We can also do more advanced things like we're seeing algorithms come on the market that can identify identify tumors, uh, even have Gleason scoring uh, for prostate cancer. And uh, and that's probably really even just the tip of the iceberg and with respect to what's possible with clinical a clinical AI applications. And as a platform, we want to be able to enable that growing universe or ecosystem of applications. So we have some of our own applications that we've built that impact these workflows. And we also integrate third party applications. And we work really close with our partners like Visio like Ibex that build some of these applications to make to bring those to the pathologist end user who's doing the diagnostic work.
1: This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, David West. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Whether you're working hard at the grossing bench, the autopsy table, behind a microscope, or any other area of the medical laboratory, there's one thing that we all need, comfortable scrubs. The scrubs that I wear come from Dressamed. This is a company in California, and they've been making high quality scrubs since 1980. They have a variety of styles and colors to choose from. As a matter of fact, I just ordered a set of the new soft stretch scrubs, so I'm looking forward to trying those out you can check out Dressamed by following the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up for their loyalty program where every order will earn you points towards special offers and discounts. Now back to you, David West, on the People of Pathology podcast. Now, you mentioned uh, quite a bit about integrating uh, third-party AI modules yeah. and other equipment things. Now, Concentric, uh, from what I've read anyways, it, it works with pretty much any slide scanner and lots of different... LIS systems. So, mm-hmm. was this why was this kind of interoperability import, yeah. an important thing to include in the system?
0: Yeah, you see this in in you know much of the rest of healthcare, and frankly, you expect it in like any application, business application that you would use outside of healthcare. Interoperability is is key. Er, early on, the the trend of digital pathology was very much uh, scanner led or hardware led. And the companies who are building these scanners are building incredible hardware technology that gets better every single year. They very much paved the way for this space in getting the first regulatory approvals, et cetera. Uh, but as a as a customer, uh, as an end user, as maybe a hospital CIO that needs to make technology decisions for for the lab, you want to think a lot about interoperability because you might have you know uh, you might buy some scanners in your first year of going digital. And then you might might decide that, hey, you want uh, higher throughput scanners for a different subspecialty that's higher volume or has different needs. And then maybe you want some lower throughput scanners to support some overflow capacity. And they're all from different vendors with different image formats. Uh, You need to be able to standardize them on one, one platform. So the early versions of the software in digital pathology We're largely locked in proprietary closed systems, but having an open system that would allow for different image format is critical to to future-proof this technology, if you will, especially as a lot of these labs are thinking, hey, this is a big investment. It's a big change. Um, Do I have to make this change in a wholesale way? What if I make a mistake or can I step my way into this? We want the customer to be able to easily adopt this technology and have the confidence that they might choose different scanners down the road, and their software system is still going to work for them, and they don't have to reinvent their entire workflow around a new software system. There's also a the lab information system. I mean, there's a relatively you know, heterogeneous landscape of uh, LIS systems in in the market with a few dominant players, but even amongst those dominant players, uh, there, there are – Different permutations around how they're configured for a unique lab's workflow. So we work really hard as as a digital pathology platform to be able to enable all those permutations of the you know data models that those LIS systems might be configured around, and the workflows that they might be configured around to make sure that the pathologist is you know not not impacted or constrained by uh, by perhaps some gap between what their digital pathology system can support and their LIS system can support. And that's always a really important thing that we work with you know, labs who are going digital on is we, we design a solution uh, around their lab information system. We really get deep into the workflow and we say, how is this workflow going to be instantiated in the digital pathology system and talk to the lab information system, no matter what vendor that lab information system is.
1: Okay. So you kind of adapt, you adapt it to the, the LIS that they already have That's so, right. to make sure yeah. that it works.
0: Yeah. And in many ways, the lab workflow is very LIS driven. You know, that is really the, primary software system that exists in the laboratory. And so, you know, we, as as a digital pathology company, software company, want to make sure that we are compatible with that. And there's sort of two different versions that that we see in terms of how a lab could set this up. There's an LIS-driven digital pathology workflow and then there's a image driven image management system driven digital pathology workflow so you can this the way to sort of simplify this is you know the pathologist can launch the case or the images from the lab information system with the LIS as the primary case list or they can launch the images directly from the from the digital pathology system. But if you have a bidirectional integration, you can offer both options for your users. So if you have users that want to live more in the digital pathology system, they have that option. They can read from that case list, and it talks to the LIS case list. Or if you have ones that are more comfortable in the lab information system, you can do that as well.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I often wonder if, you know, like you were saying in kind of the early days with some of these slide scanners, the proprietary formats and things like that, if that was kind of detrimental to widespread use, because you know, looking, if you were a a lab manager or or some kind of lab director, like looking to the future, you had to be like, well, okay, then I'll have to only be able to get this type of format basically forever. Whereas now with this interoperability, it's easier to, it it seems like it's easier to make the case that you can buy these different systems because they're all going to work together.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think we you know when we look at at um, the role that the digital pathology software has to play, interoperability is you know the burden is on us, frankly, as a company to enable interoperability. We we you know to expect that the lab is just going to figure it out uh, is is um, is putting a lot a lot of burden on an organization that is already going through a lot of the challenges of adoption, like change management, like workflow, et cetera. So we want to make the technology aspects as easy as possible and be a partner to our customers to enable that interoperability.
1: Okay. All right. So you mentioned earlier, Concentric uh, integrates with uh, different AI systems and you've actually got partnerships with uh, a couple of them, Ibex, Farm. So I, I want to talk about this integrating of AI, because this seems like a kind of very forward-thinking feature as AI becomes more and more widely used. So was this, to, to include this kind of from the beginning, was this like an uh, a way to sort of future-proof uh, this software platform?
0: The value of going digital is not just about moving from microscope to monitor. It's what you can do with this data. And the promise of precision medicine lies in that, in how computers and people and this data can come together. And the reality is, there have been really exciting developments in the pathology AI space, and yet we are very early in that trend. We expect to see decade to, a decade to decades of innovation in applications enabled by deep learning being applied to this new kind of data medium and we expect those applications to be simple at first uh, but over time to perhaps be multimodal in nature combining molecular information with image information maybe with radiology etc so there's there's a there's a lot of runway in terms of what this technology can do and the reality is we've only seen a few Applications that have been approved for clinical use, and maybe a, a couple dozen, um, you know, well-defined research applications of image analysis that are available in market today. So there's a lot of things that are going to um, that are in store for the world of pathology, and we're seeing this accelerate. We want to make sure that that anyone who's using this technology can, you know, can take advantage of what's possible today, and has that modern pathology software to enable that, but is going to provide the flexibility to take whatever future algorithms they want to adopt, uh, today, tomorrow, five, 10 years from now, uh, and make that part of, of the workflow.
1: Okay. I see. Can you tell me a little bit about the partnerships that you have with Ibex and Vizio Farm?
0: Ibex builds, you know, an amazing application for, uh, prostate, uh, for breast, and in GI and we have a, a partnership that enables our customers to take advantage of their technology. So when we, when we're talking to a laboratory that is maybe already digital or is going digital and is saying, Hey, I want to be able to, you know, take advantage of their, their, uh, you know, prostate application. Um, it's called gallon, the gallon prostate solution. And, you know, that we're we're going to work together in partnership with Ibex and with the customer to integrate that into their workflows that are going to live on the concentric platform on Prosha's platform.
1: Okay, and and then what about uh, Viziofarm?
0: Yeah, you know Viziofarm we've had a partnership with for a number of years. It started on the research side and has recently expanded into the diagnostics space. Viziofarm has been you know a mature world leader in pathology, image analysis, and AI, uh, and they've been a great partner for us in many of our life sciences, for many of our life sciences customers. A lot of times when we're going to, you know, we get approached by, say, a large biopharma company, 10 of the top 20 biopharma companies use our products, uh, can center for research today. We're coming in and they say, I have visiofarm image analysis applications, and they might even have a couple others. Maybe they have data science teams that are using Python for homegrown image analysis or AI work. Uh, They might have some other open source tools or other commercial off the shelf tools. Um, We work really tightly and, uh, you know, to be able to talk to VisioFarm, not just so that you can say export an image and move it to VisioFarm for analysis, but so that you can trigger image analysis algorithms to run right in your unified environment where your workflows are happening, and for all of that image analysis data to live in that environment. So you imagine you are getting image overlays, cellular annotations generated by these image analysis algorithms, quantitative results, et cetera. Um, but our 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 growth in the diagnostics side, along with our, our partnership with Visiofarm that is that has expanded to include that uh, that diagnostic integration, but we're enabling many of the, using many of the similar same technology integrations that we've built to enable the use of their image analysis applications in clinical workflows. Uh, so I won't, you know, while I can't talk specifically to their portfolios, they, they have, they have some great algorithms for, uh, and applications for, uh, for, for breast cancer in particular and, and a growing portfolio of image analysis algorithms that much like we've done for many of our pharma companies, pharma customers, we're doing for our diagnostic customers as well. Okay,
1: yeah, that sounds really really interesting. Now, um, I've heard about, I think this is something new from Proshare. so it's, yeah. you're working on automated QC. And I feel yeah. like this will greatly streamline the the QC process, which seems like currently, I mean, that's a real uh, time consuming. Can, yeah. can you tell me about this?
0: Yeah, it is very time consuming. And you know, when we we spoke to our customers, especially the ones who are operating in high throughput environments, both on you know high throughput research pathology environments and high throughput diagnostic pathology environments quality is everything. It's, it's If you don't have quality rights, you don't have anything downstream. And it's a very expensive, time-consuming process that impacts costs, impacts turnaround time, impacts overall lab efficiency, impacts your talent and personnel strategy. It is at the core of what a lot of these our customers, these laboratories struggle with. And going digital adds another step where there's quality risk. But if you can use digital in the right way, you can not only overcome the new kind of risk that digital introduces, but you can actually solve a lot of the other quality workflow, quality challenges in that workflow as well using AI. So our automated quality control application identifies common artifacts, quality artifacts in pathology, and some of which are specifically related to digital pathology, for example, a blur. It, you might have a, a scanner that generates a blurry images or or a, a piece of an image that's blurry. You probably want to rescan that slide. But a lot of times what's happening is one of two things. One, it gets to the pathologist. Pathologist says, this is insufficient quality, send it back. Or a team of frequently new newly hired uh, technicians have to identify these so there's a, there's a significant cost associated with manual quality control and a lot of what we're finding here in the data is really interesting that if the the technician who's identifying or looking for these quality artifacts only expects a quality artifact on say 10% of their their slides they're more likely to miss it than if it was a fi- you know 50% of the slides had a quality artifact. So by using an automated quality control algorithm with you know, sufficient sensitivity and specificity, we're, we're sending only slides that are likely to have a quality artifact. And not only identifying those algorithmically, but we're improving the ability for uh, the technician to accurately identify these quality issues and address them before they ever make their way to the pathologists, um, and in a much more cost-effective, high-throughput matter. Imagine instead of reviewing hundreds of slides, uh, you only have to review a dozen slides. Okay, so that's
1: definitely cost-effective. Is this uh, a feature that's already on the market?
0: It's on the market on top of Concentric for Research. So okay. It's available to our life sciences and academic research customers. It's not available for, available for diagnostic use yet.
1: Okay, I see. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very interesting. And I think it would it would help even more kind of make the argument for going digital if you're saving time and money on the QC side.
0: Yep, 100%. That makes,
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about with you, um, it, it seems like there's still hurdles to the widespread implementation of digital pathology. And I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Like, what do you think it will take to get over those hurdles and to make digital pathology kind of the standard of practice to make it just simply pathology?
0: Yeah. That's the dream, right? You want digital pathology to just be pathology. No one thinks about digital radiology anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Just think about radiology. And I think that time is, is upon us so much of, going digital and the challenges to going digital were a, were and have been a uh, a people challenge and a change management challenge it is a big shift no doubt uh, you know it might require an impact uh, to workflows um it certainly changes you know the the day in the life of a pathologist and other lab staff and I I could never blame a laboratory for saying, I don't know if I want to be the first person to take that jump and to make that take the take on that risk. What we've seen though, since the first scanner approval by the FDA in 2017, and in the few years since then is this classic technology adoption curve where innovators paved the way for early adopters. And those early adopters wrote the blueprint, a playbook and pave the way for the early majority, who, frankly, the late majority, uh, starts to get afraid that they're missing out on this technology and says, I gotta catch up. We're seeing that happen. We're seeing scanner penetration happen. We're seeing digital pathology adoption happen. And the great thing is that if you're going digital right now, you are not the first person to do this. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, writing the playbook from scratch. There are many laboratories globally it started in Europe. It's now aggressively accelerating in the U.S. with some of the largest reference laboratories and hospital systems that have gone digital. Uh, they've written the playbook on ROI adoption, on change management, on technology adoption, on integration, on workflow, etc. So that's happening. But of course, there's other sort of bigger trends that are making uh, digital pathology a, um adoption accelerate. We just saw uh, new CPT codes specifically for digital pathology. Oh yeah, and and that that is really a signal that the healthcare system is paying a lot of attention to digital pathology and has room for for digital pathology. Um, we're also seeing you know new applications, AI applications that are positively impacting ROI, and I think the most exciting thing for me. When I look at the, the promise of digital pathology is that it's all about the data. We live in a data-driven era, and we live in the era of precision medicine. And with a gigabyte, a gigabyte's worth of information, a billion pixels, on every single one of these images that are telling a story about some patient's cancer or other disease that otherwise would be sitting on a shelf on glass collecting dust. Doing nothing for us. That's a tremendous opportunity for the world to use this data in new kinds of ways. It's an opportunity for labs to think about their impact beyond just an unstructured PDF diagnostic report, whatever this ends up being, uh, and to think about themselves as a critical central player in the data-driven precision medicine ecosystem. And I think we're in the in just the early days of seeing connectivity between the world of life sciences and the world of diagnostics that's connected under this data-driven precision medicine umbrella. And those are some really exciting opportunities. What can we do when we can look at this data in new ways? How can we identify patients that are candidates for clinical trials? How can we develop drugs faster or identify biomarkers, et cetera? Um, That's some of the cool things that can come out of this. And that's going to accelerate the adoption of this technology as labs tap into those use cases, um, as they, uh, and as, as they create an ROI for their digital pathology adoption.
1: Yeah. I love it. I I, I love that, that vision. That's, that's great. And and like you said, that is that, that is the goal for for the future for sure. Uh, David, this has been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate learning more about you, uh, and about the amazing work you're doing with Prosha. So I, I appreciate your time. So David West, thank you very much.
0: Dennis, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Take care.
1: Great big thanks to David West. Here's a trailer from another episode that I think you'll enjoy. And then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode.
2: So I, I work with R&D teams who are looking to bring in the latest research to advance their, their algorithms that apply to pathology images. You know, the, the re, this research area is advancing so rapidly that it's going to be hard for them to figure out which new algorithms to apply, you know, which which new techniques to to um, implement to solve the problems they're having. So I try to stay at the forefront of this research to help guide them and also sometimes help with implementation um, to advance their, their algorithms and to get them, you know, into the, the products and services that the, these companies are developing.
1: Is it hard to convince people that that they need this kind of technology or, you know, with with digital pathology becoming so popular now, is it more something that they're familiar with and they're just trying to keep up?
2: Um, I think probably both are true. The client base that I work with are already on board with machine learning. They might be experimenting with it a little bit. They might know they want to use it, but haven't done anything yet. Or they might already be quite advanced down that line, but are still encountering challenges. So th- there's definitely the the other subset that you talked about that aren't on board yet. They're they're just you know not not my current client base. Um, yeah, you know, I tend to work with companies who already uh, you know have have a clear decision that they're going to be in the machine learning AI world.
1: To hear more from Dr. Heather Couture and her work in machine learning and image analysis, check out episode sixty three. Pathology has a central role in the fight against cancer, and this goes far beyond just the diagnostic aspect. The data that's available on pathology images is being used by companies like Prosha to advance areas of cancer treatment, including drug development, companion diagnostics, and other molecular tests, and just cancer research in general. So it was really interesting to hear about some of the things that Prosha's concentric platform is able to do both in clinical and in research settings. And I think it was also important to point out how Prosha is collaborating with other digital pathology companies as far as AI modules and things like that, which, as we all know, is an area that's probably going to rapidly expand in the not too distant future. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything that we talked about today. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at people of path, or you can just connect with me on LinkedIn thank you for continuing to share the show with others and together let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals this show is a member of health podcast network which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health care and well-being and you can find a link in the show notes to health podcast network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts thank you very much for listening and i will talk to you next time on the people of pathology podcast